Often when we think about prayer, we can reduce it to, to something so small. And yes, it is just us and Jesus at times, but it, there's something much more epic and cosmic going on when we pray. And sometimes I love just seeing that vision of what happens when a group of people and a movement of people begin to get on their knees and begin to say yes to Jesus. It's amazing. To have our souls awakened by God. Now today I want to talk about authority in prayer. Two weeks ago we started a series called Kingdom Carriers. I actually think it was three weeks ago. We've had three talks. The first was by Derek and then... And this really is a series based on one of our values as a church, that we want to be a people who carry the kingdom of God wherever we go. And so what that looks like in reality is that environments change because we're in them. We believe that when we go into places and spaces, that because we carry the living God inside of our hearts, those environments will be changed. It's nothing that we're doing, it's all God. And so what we're trying to do is we're trying to create a platform whereby God can come in power. And so those environments can be utterly shifted because the presence of God is in them. And can you imagine how profoundly impacting that would be if every single one of us in the room understood that? That the environment changes because God's in it. And that's what we carry. That's who we carry. We're carrying the presence of God. Now Paul started the series two weeks ago and he started in Genesis, at the beginning of the Bible. And he talked about how God made mankind in in his image and that he gave them this cultural mandate to rule and reign right back in Genesis. And so he showed us that and then he moved forwards to Matthew 28, the Great Commission. And this was almost a kind of a a re-mandating moment where Jesus stood up and he said, "All, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And he's saying, the authority comes through me. It's my authority, and I'm giving that authority to you. Paul used the, a really powerful image of the 10-pound note, and he stood here and he said, I've got a 10-pound note. Who wants to come and get it? And we all sat there thinking, this, I'm sure there's a catch here. I don't want to look stupid. And anyway, somebody came up, grabbed the 10-pound note, and he said, do you know what? That's a picture of authority. All that we have to do with authority is take it. It's already given. God has already given us authority. It's there to be grasped. Why don't we take it? Because it's his authority. So that was Paul. And then Matt continued the series um, the next week. And he talked about everybody gets to play. The, The danger with this talking about authority and what we carry is that we sit there and we automatically disqualify ourselves. We sit there and think, oh, do you know that is wonderful for James and Jen and whoever it is, but you're not really talking about me. And what Matt did is he brought the room and he said, I'm talking to every single person who has a living faith in God. This is for everybody. Everybody gets to play. Everybody gets to be a part of this. And it's just about realising what Jesus has given us. And so today I'm continuing and I'm talking about authority in prayer. And the reality is that when we start talking about prayer, when I even use that word prayer, some of you have already started feeling guilty. You're like, oh man, if only I prayed. It's not going to be one of those talks. It's going to make me feel guilty. And the truth is, if I was going to do a little poll of this room and say, just pop your hand up if you feel like you pray enough, I think there'll probably be two or three hands. And that would probably just be arrogance. But uh, 
Maybe that's a bit harsh. Some of you are very godly. Um, but it would be pretty low, wouldn't it? Because many of us sit there and we're like, oh, do you know what? Yeah, I long, I long to pray more. And when I'm talking about prayer, authority in prayer, what is it that I'm actually talking about? Now, well, let me give you a little definition because the reality is there are so many different definitions of prayer. My definition that I'm going to work with is prayer intimacy with God. I'm talking about intimacy with the Lord. Um, there are different types of prayer. There's petition, there's supplication, there's many ififications, there's many long words. But really, if we break it down, to be very simple, I'm talking about relationship with God. I'm talking about intimacy with the Lord, that connection with God, because that would then incorporate all of those other things. And what I love about Lent, this season that's just started, is that it's an opportunity to refocus. It's an opportunity to, to kind of restart and to cut some things out of our life that it, uh, at its heart, it's about stripping things back to focus on God. As a church, we want to press into this. In the past, we've had a prayer week and we said, you know what, we want to have a whole prayer season. Because sometimes what happens in a prayer week is we can all get very excited about prayer for a week and then for the next 51 years, 51 years? <laughs> 51 weeks, we're like, oh man alive, I've done prayer week, let's move on. But the reality, if it's about intimacy with God, we're wanting to grow in rhythms of prayer. We're wanting to grow in authority with prayer. And for many of you, you know that your prayer life needs a kickstart that your prayer life needs a jolt, a reignition. And what Lent provides is this opportunity to press in. We're saying as a church, as a people, this is for all of us. And we want to press in hard because we want to have greater intimacy with the Lord. There are a number of great enemies to prayer. There are a number of things that get right in the way. And one of them is hurry. John Ortberg, a Christian author, tells this story. And he says this, not long after moving to Chicago, I called a wise friend to ask for some spiritual direction. I described the pace of life in my current ministry. The church where I serve tends to move at a fast clip. I don't think we'd ever use that phrase, would we? But I also told him about our rhythms of family life. We're in the van driving, soccer league, piano lessons, school orientation night years. Not like many of you. I told him about the present condition of my heart as best as I could discern it. What did I need to do? I asked him to be spiritually healthy. And there was a long pause. And he said this, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. He said at last, another long pause. Okay, I've written that down, I told him a little impatiently. That's a good one. Now what else is there? I had many things to do and this was a long distance call so I was anxious to cram as many units of spiritual wisdom into the least amount of time possible. Another long pause. There is nothing else. He said, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. That's quite a powerful thought, isn't it? This is from a guy called Dallas Willard who's one of the great authors of our time. Some of his books, I think, are absolutely exceptional, The Divine Conspiracy, and he's, he's written a book about the spiritual rhythms as well. But he talks about hurry, a life of hurry robbing us of a prayer life. Because what happens is our soul is just always unsettled, and never, we never reach that point where we find rest in God. So we've got that on one side, 
And then if I was to say the other side, it would be distraction. Hurry and distraction would be the two greatest robbers of our prayer life. So many of us, our lives are just full of distraction. What happened is you woke up this morning, the first thing that you did was you grabbed your phone, you turned it on, and you started surfing the internet. You then decided that you needed to go to the toilet, so you took your phone with you. Maybe even had a number two. Some of the more disgusting ones among you stayed on the phone. Um, But the point is, what I'm saying is that we can be distracted absolutely anywhere now. For so many of us, if we sit alone, let's let's imagine that you're going to meet somebody, you're in a cafe, and, and you're sitting there alone. What do you do? What's the first, what's your first thought? Do you know what? I'll just sit and pray. Or I'll just grab my phone. Can you see one of the challenges that we have within our culture? Suddenly what happens is that all of these moments that maybe in the past, maybe 20, 30 years ago, would have been moments of alone time, moments just to sit and be, moments to reflect, moments to think back on what has been. These moments are robbed. And so what happens is there's no space. And that means that ultimately connection with the Lord becomes more and more challenging. So what we have to do is that we have to purposefully push in the other direction. That we have to create space in order to begin to grow in intimacy with the Lord. Now, this week I had a couple of days off with my wife, Jen. We've just been doing some building work that's nearly sent me over the edge, but I'm still here, it's all right. Um... And we had the opportunity to stop and we had many, many wonderful plans of all the great things that we were going to do and we pretty much did none of them. But we went and sat in a couple of coffee shops for quite a long time to the point where we were in Coffee Co down the bay and they had this log fire going and we sat there to the point where I was almost bored. I don't know if you've had that for a long while. Well, you're like, oh, I think I might be bored. And... At that moment, I'd, I'd taken my journal with me and I, and I just grabbed it out. And I had this moment just before the Lord. Where I was just like, oh, do you know what? I'm just going to journal about what's going on in my soul. What is it that's going on in here? And, I, and I, the Lord really started speaking to me about it. And he started through this phrase. And I'm sure I've nicked it from somebody else, but it came back to mind. And it said this, wasting time on God wasting time on God and he started speaking the Lord just really started speaking and it's this picture that when we're in relationship with somebody it's not always just about function and purpose and output and where we're trying to get to but actually what we do is we often just sit and we relate and we chew the card and we talk to one another and I saw I had this most blessed kind of hour just of journaling before the Lord and the Lord just spoke and he said This is wasting time on me, but not in a bad sense, but in a beautiful sense. And that's what intimacy begins to look like. Now, coming back, we're in a Kingdom Carrier series. Jesus was the model Kingdom Carrier. So as we look at the life, if you want to know what a Kingdom Carrier looks like, look at the life of Jesus. He demonstrated perfectly what it should look like to carry the Kingdom. And the disciples who followed Jesus and spent time with him would have just seen what his life looked like. They, they would have known everything about him. They would have spent just vast periods of time with him, how he lived, how he spoke, what frustrated him, what moved him, what excited him. They saw absolutely everything that he did. They, they saw the compassion 
that he showed people. They saw what his prayer loaf like loaf. Sorry. His prayer loaf looked like. Um, I think I've lost the plot. They saw the intimacy that he would have had with his father. And also what they saw was the authority that he had when he prayed. Throughout the scriptures, throughout the gospels, it talks about this phrase authority. And they would have looked at his life and they would have seen something different and they would have been like, what is, what's the key? What is the source? And so one day they turn around to him and they said, Jesus, what is it that's going on? How, how come when you pray, things change? How come when you pray, food's multiplied? How come when you pray, the demons come out? How come when you pray, the storms are stilled? Again and again, you could give examples of authority within prayer. And so on one occasion, they come to Jesus and they ask him and they say, Jesus, teach us how to pray. How, teach us how to pray like you do, because there's something different about the way that you're praying. And we want to learn it. We want to learn what it is that you're doing. So if you've got a Bible, why don't you grab them? We're going to be in Matthew 6 today. And we're going to be start, start, starting in verse 5. Now, many of you, as you read this passage, are going to go, oh, I'm, I'm pretty familiar with this one, James. Don't ever let familiar, familiarity get in the way of the Lord speaking to you. Because this is where Jesus teaches us what it looks like to pray. Sometimes in the Christian life, I think we can think that things are really complicated. Actually, the Christian life is all about moving towards simplicity. <laughs> it's the opposite, that the Lord can speak through passages that he's spoken to again and again. And so it says this, when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think that they will be heard by their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. One of the joys that I have is being a parent of three absolutely wonderful girls. I'm allowed to dote on them sometimes, as long as they're not here. And I'd never tell them that. But no, I would, hopefully, regularly. But one of the great challenges of being a parent is knowing that you are responsible for your children's discipleship. It's not the church's job. Hopefully the church supplements what you're doing. But ultimately, there's this moment where you realise, I am responsible for discipling these little people. That is a big deal in life. And one of the first things that I've done with my girls is to teach them the Lord's Prayer. Because it is how we learn to pray. 
let's say somebody came to you and they're very, very early on in their journey of discipleship and they said, what does it look like to pray? What would you do? I think you'd probably go, let's read the Lord's Prayer. Why don't you learn the Lord's Prayer? Because in this prayer is absolutely everything that we need. It's so full. And there's this amazing church in Japan. And during the last, I don't know, 10 or 15 years, Japan's an incredibly uh, non-Christian nation. I think 0.5% of the population have got faith. And during this, in this church, there's about 4,000 people that are in this church, and the majority of them have come to faith in this church. And so what happens is they have this really interesting discipleship journey. They don't have people that just have faith. Do you know what I mean? They're, they're not coming in going, oh, I've got a Christian background. Many of them are brand new to faith. How do you teach people? What is it that you would teach people if they were coming in in droves? And so they have three things, and they call it the big three. Three different things that they do with people in order to grow in their discipleship. And I think this is absolutely fascinating. And I think my hope is that we see many, many people come to faith and that we have to use similar things. The first one is this, that they teach every single person to journal for five minutes a day. They have seen so many people come to faith just by journaling. Because what happens as you journal is that you begin to learn to hear the Lord's voice. Can you imagine you're sitting there? And often when people think about journaling, they might think of those people that write, have perfect handwriting and write beautiful long sentences. I am not one of those people, but I have found journaling incredibly profound. I'm the kind of person that doodles all over the page. Sometimes at the end, I I sit there and write notes during a call and the people that I'm working with look at it and they're like, what the heck does that mean? Because there's just one big doodle down the side with one word in the middle. Well, that's what my journaling looks like. But in the midst of it, God has really begun to speak to me. And so they're saying, this is one of the most effective things that you can do. The greatest discipleship tool that they found is for people to journal every day, five minutes a day. So that's the first thing they do. The second thing that they do is they teach people the Lord's Prayer. And so what happens is, When people come to faith, they teach the prayer. And so you go through, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, blessed be your name, your kingdom come. And what happens is, is that you stop in the prayer at the bit of the prayer that's really speaking to you that day. Because I think sometimes when we've learned things verbatim or we've learned to just say a prayer, we've stopped engaging with that prayer. But a way of re-engaging is to say, you know, so it might be our Father. You never get beyond the our Father. Our Father, God, you're so good. Lord, I want to thank you for all your magnificence. And then it leads you on to other places. And so you use that prayer daily to just work your way through and just stop in the place that you get to. The final final thing that they use is something called clean hearts, whereby they say, do you know what, at the end of the day, is there anybody that you need to forgive and is there any sin that you've committed that you need to ask the Lord to forgive you for? It's called the big three. In some senses, it's very simple, isn't it? But I guess what I'm saying is, I think the Lord's Prayer is is something that we never get beyond. It's not like we have these simple teachings that we, we, we reach the point that we graduate beyond. What I'm saying is, this prayer is absolutely foundational to our faith. And that we don't move beyond it. It's a a thing of great beauty. And so I'd encourage you, for some of you, you're sitting here and I'd be like, what does your prayer life, if I was to ask you the question, what does your prayer life look like? You'd say, I don't really know. 
And I'd say, okay, what would a starting point for your prayer life be? Why don't you pray the Lord's Prayer? Why don't you start with that every day? And you just learn to pray that prayer through. And maybe you start once a day, and then you begin to increase that as time goes on. Use it as a template. In the next part of the prayer, it goes on. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. At this point in the prayer, Jesus begins to teach what it looks to exercise our authority through prayer. A bit later in Matthew's Gospel, in chapter 7, Jesus adds to this teaching by saying, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds and to him who knocks the door will be opened. He's saying that when you ask for things in prayer, your Father in heaven will hear you and will begin to answer your prayers. Jesus had unprecedented success when he prayed for all kinds of things. He had this remarkable authority over sickness, over the demonic, over all of creation. And Pete Greg, Greg, who I mentioned earlier, he says this, the public authority of Jesus flowed from his personal intimacy with the Father in prayer. I'm going to say that again. The public authority of Jesus flowed from his personal intimacy with the Father in prayer. So if you were to kind of sum up what I'm trying to say very succinctly, it would be this. Greater intimacy releases greater authority. Greater intimacy releases greater authority. As we begin to spend time with Jesus in the simple place, as we begin to journal, as we begin to learn the rhythms of the faith, what happens is God begins to speak. What happens is this connection, this relationship grows and we can sit there and when we're talking about our father, we're like, we, that's, what we, that's what we feel, that's what we think, that we sit there and we're like, Lord, I want to thank you for your goodness. I want to thank you for how good you've been, that this thankfulness begins to override, that we begin to see God in all of these little places throughout the day. Suddenly it's like, bang, we see God moving. Suddenly God begins to speak to us and he's like, do you know what, I've got a word for that person. I've got a word of encouragement that I want you to give over here. Suddenly you'll begin to be like, oh, the Lord's moving over there because you're in touch with what the Lord's doing. You're beginning to see the Lord's fingerprints. And this is what we're talking about when we're talking about authority is that we begin to see what the Father's doing. We, become, we begin to be in touch with the plans of God rather than our own plans. What happens is this. We move our eyes from looking down and we begin to lift them up and we begin to say, Lord, speak. Can you imagine how that begins to change? Every environment that we, we move into begins to shift because we begin to ask, Lord, what is it that you're doing? So when we're talking about this word authority, I think we can get very hung up and we think that it's just something that we need to do. Actually, it's a place that we need to go to with the Lord. It's in the deep place. Earlier in that prayer, it says, you know, don't be like the hypocrites who go out into the public space. It says, shut your door, go and be with Jesus. Learn what it means to be with him in the quiet, in the secret place. As we learn to do this, things begin to shift. We begin to have a greater and greater authority. John Wimber, who helped start the vineyard movement, he said this, we don't seek God's power, we seek his presence. His power and everything else we need is always found in his presence. Can you see how it can subtly shift? Is suddenly we begin to be about the things that we want to see God do, rather than with the starting point is, God, I want you because you're worthy to be wanted. God, I want to spend time with you because you make everything right. 
because peace is found in you, because joy is found in you, because wholeness is found in you, because shalom is found in you. When I am truly with you, then my soul begins to find its rest. I talked about this concept of hurry earlier. That's a hurried heart is one that is constantly distracted and it can't settle. What happens when we begin to spend the time with the Lord is that the peace of God begins to come. It doesn't mean, sometimes our external circumstances can be so incredibly difficult, but in the midst of them, the God begins to break in and he begins to, he just begins to rest us. And we sit there and we're like, oh God, you're good. I love you. I'm so grateful for everything that you do. The paradigm begins to shift from me to him, from me to him. Another quote by Pete Gregg, he says this, I'm convinced that our constant activity is fruitless without first making that humble act of kneeling to pray. I am convinced that prayer is not only our greatest privilege, but also our greatest source of power. I think... One of the greatest things that we need to do, I talked about carving out space, is to just find these rhythms that work for you in this world, in this crazy, hurried, distracted world that we live in. What does it look like for you to find space to meet the Lord? It could be something as simple as in the morning, you wake up, the first thing that you don't do is grab your phone. The first thing that you do is you fall to your knees next to your bed. What happens when you fall on your knees is that you surrender, is that you're effectively saying, Lord, you're in charge. I give it all to you. It could be that that's the last thing that you do at night, could be the same thing. Why do people prostrate themselves before the Lord? Because it's an act of surrender and submission. Prostrate is when we kind of come before the Lord like this. Prayer is when we submit ourselves before the Lord. We've got to find our own rhythms. We've got to find our own traditions that can mean that we meet Jesus. So as we move into this period of Lent, there is an invitation to the whole church family, and it's to say, what would it be for you to grow in intimacy with the Lord? Authority is the outworking of intimacy. Let's start by going after the Lord because he's worthy. You might sit there and think, do you know what, a whole hour by myself in the prayer room. Do you know what it is? It might be a long time for you. But that could be the greatest thing that you do because it's the space that you need for the Lord to begin to speak. That you might reach the point where you're really bored and then the Lord starts to speak. And he's like, come away with me. Come and be with me. Come and speak with me. And in that moment, you just begin to chew over and you're like, do you know what, Lord? There is a part of my soul that's not all right. There is a part of my soul that's really broken. Can I talk to you about that part of me that's not all right? And the Lord begins, and then suddenly you begin to open that up and you, you say, Lord, would you just begin to pour yourself in? I don't know what to do with it. Lord, would you just fill this part of my brokenness with your Holy Spirit? Lord, would you show me what it means to be free in this area of my life? Because that's what happens as we begin to stay, spend time with the Lord. He begins to open up our hearts and our souls. And it is a thing of great beauty because we are fully known. We do not need to be afraid because the Lord already knows. He already knows everything that there is to know about us. It's just us bringing it into the light before him. So why don't we grow in authority in prayer as a community? Amen.